Thanks for joining us today to hear our latest Hope Central podcast. We trust this message will help you know more about Jesus and inspire you to be more like Him. Last week when I was walking online, some of the people would step off the stage and on camera, they just disappear. So uh, I just thought I'd just do that for the peace of mind of people at home, that there's not a giant hole swallowing up our preachers. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, heading off to PNG next month just to encourage the folks over there and to be with them and meet with a lot of the leaders. And it's so great to be able to go. I was supposed to be there last week, but uh, their organization on the other end didn't hold up. And so I... Uh, rebooked, but then of course my health didn't hold up either. So God knew all those things. Don't you love it when God uses the disorganization of others and the frustrations of people's failures to help you? God bless them. Yes. Hey, um, we are in a series that we are calling um, Stay Salt because um, we're talking about, we're following, encouraging everybody to read this book on Stay Salt because it's a book about evangelism. It's a book about being confident to share your faith. And Rebecca Pippert is fantastic explaining on how to do that in a very comfortable, encouraging way, recognizing that um, we're, we're all awkward at evangelism. I, I love this quote that she's got from the book that's going to come up in a second. Is the clicker not clicking anymore? There we go. Christians and non-Christians have something in common. We are both uptight about evangelism. <laughs> I love that she acknowledges that, that it's sort of an awkward thing. I remember when I was in, um, in, um, in Bible college, I got a job in the summertime to go uh, work in the same mine that my dad worked in. It was like a, you know, employ your kids kind of, uh, you know, for university people. So I got, I got the summertime job and I, I was so excited to be able to share my faith with all these guys working in the mine. Let me tell you, it was tough. But uh, my very first kind of day on the job, I was out there and they had me painting a, a ceiling, which I don't know why that's a mining job. But anyway, I was painting a ceiling with another guy who got a job exactly the same way as I did. So I was getting ready to roll there and I started asking him questions to try to get the conversation about salvation and Christianity going and faith. And so I'm, I'm rolling away and then I just looked over at him and said, do you, uh, do you, um, do you, um, um, so you uh, ever heard the Christ Christmas story? I don't know why I thought to start there. I thought we would have something in common about celebrating Christmas. And he's like, uh, yeah, I think so. And I said, what can you know? tell me about? It? He's like, I don't know, like Santa and presents. And I'm like, no, no, that's not the Christmas story at all. So I started to explain the Christmas story to him. And his face kind of went that sort of dubious, like, what are you even talking about? Bethlehem? Judea? Like, I don't get what you're talking. And it was, it, was, it was so awkward that I just stopped. I had no idea what to do next. And I thought, I got to learn a lot more about how to share my faith. That's what we're going to be talking about today, about how to share our faith. And if you don't have faith this morning, if you're kind of on the journey, you want to know about Jesus, or you want to know about spirituality, you want to know about discovering the spiritual power of Christ that maybe you don't know, but is actually what you need in your life to properly live. Today, we're going to be looking at all of that. So you'll probably find a lot of these things quite applicable to you, even if you don't know the things that we're kind of encouraging you to end up sharing. 
We're going to be talking today about what does it mean to be saved, which is a topic we've talked about already, but combining that with the idea of how do we talk about sin? How do we talk about sin? One of the things that has happened is that in the Christian world and the non-Christian world, uh, the heathen world, we no longer speak the same language. And a lot of the words that we've been very comfortable in Christianity using, like the word saved, no longer has the same meaning. I love this one, you know, Peter is calling out to Jesus, Jesus save me, and he says, JPEG or PDF. To me, this, it's hilarious because the word saved is actually quite an awkward word. You know, like, uh, in fact, Christians are quite happy to ask one another this. When did you get saved? Tell me the story, how you got saved. And people who don't know what that word means are going, saved? From what? In exactly what way? What does he mean saved? In, in Canada, a save is somebody stopping the puck from going in the net in an ice hockey game. So if I say Jesus saves, people think it's something to do with an ice hockey game where he stopped the puck from going in the net and stopping a goal. So the word saved, you know, there's lots actually graffiti around in, in where I'm from in Vancouver. There are people graffiti on the walls, Jesus saves. And then people would pre-graffiti, Gretzky shoots, Jesus saves. It's very funny to them. <laughs> now... We no longer speak the same language, though, about a lot of things. The, the Catholic Church, in around about the 1500s, decided that they would help summarize the idea of sin by coming up with the seven deadly ones, right? And these are the seven deadly sins, pride, lust, greed, envy, sloth, wrath, gluttony. Those, those things, because the Catholic Church had been away, been educating the culture of Europeans for many, many centuries, and people had come to a common agreement that these seven things were bad, super bad. If you're in these, you're stuck. You can't get out. These are the ones that are going to destroy your life. Now, the thing about our modern world is that every single one of those things on that list is now celebrated. Those things are not seen as deadly. They are seen as something that might be something that would help you get. There's nothing on there that the Internet does not promote. People want to have giant egos and to be well known and to talk about their achievements. People love to tell stories about how they've accumulated huge amounts of stuff. They, they, the whole idea of online advertising is about promoting envy so that more people will buy things. The lust. Do I need to talk about lust on the internet? Sloth. You know, the idea that you can sit around for 40 hours a week on your gaming console and call that work. Um, wrath. People express huge amount of anger at other people and think that that's okay to be streaming anger at other people who perhaps don't agree with your political position. And of course, gluttony. There is a huge celebration of just the consumption, not just of, you know, food products, but of everything that there is. And so one of the problems that we have when we're talking about sin is that people no longer agree about what is right and what is wrong. In fact, we really have to say that People today believe that truth is relative. It's relative to your own point of view. I know that, you know, Einstein said that truth is, in fact, relative because he came up with this theory of relativity. But relativity does not apply to the absolute values of morals. But, of course, we're not talking about morals anymore. That people think that there is no absolute morals. And what is wrong for you may not be wrong for me. 
In fact, that's one of those things that becomes quite awkward and uncomfortable is when you talk about something being wrong, they just simply say, but that's what you think. That's what you believe. And the fact that you are hinting that I'm wrong is a horrible thing to do because you're supposed to be loving and tolerant towards me. And you're supposed to be accepting because the highest value is being tolerant and being accepting. And so you are sinning against me by telling me or thinking about me being wrong. So how dare you? You need to get saved. <laughs> Do you see the logic in that? You see, what is what happening is that people in the world now prefer the word values to morals. Because values are just something, well, you value that, but I don't value that. You value, you know, one person might value extravagant sexual expression. Another person might value fidelity. But neither is wrong. They're just living to their values. And their values are not judged as right or wrong because if it's valuable to you, well, then it's valuable. So then the question then is, and here's the thing I want to talk about today. Should I be trying to convince them that they are wrong? Should I be out there in the world trying to convince people that their values are wrong? Is that what will bring people to salvation? All right, let's just think about it for a moment. In the book of Romans, um, so let me just slow down for those of you who don't know much about the Bible. The book of Romans is a book written to Roman people, people who lived in Rome. So he titled it, The Gospel or the Writings of Paul to the Romans. The book of Romans, though, is an explanation of how the work of Jesus saves people and gives them the right life with God. And it's a very, a very, very good book to explain how the work of Jesus dying on the cross and being resurrected and then being ascended into heaven how those three things ultimately change human beings. And it explains why and how. But the book starts out with this truth that, that we need to, that he's not ashamed of, of the gospel because it brings salvation to everyone. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And then he talks about how the whole world is under wrath, but people don't know. They don't know that they are under condemnation because their ability to reason these things out has been lost. They can't understand it anymore. And that's kind of the way that, most people in the world are, they just don't understand. So he wants to talk about how do we bring them to an understanding. Now, there's two types of people he's talking to then, and I have to explain this for a minute. He's talking to Jewish people who had been given a law, a law of moral values, by Moses. Moses was the, found, the person who organized the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt. Moses was given a set of commands, and you probably think Ten Commandments, but there was lots more than that. And those Ten Commandments and the many others were meant to guide people in the right way for human beings to live, as defined by God, not people. And those Jewish people had never, ever been able to live up to those laws. But there is other people in the world, and Paul wants to bring them into the story as well. And those are the people that he would call Gentiles, that is, non-Jews. And it might be easily applied to just say Aussies. Okay? So, Paul writes to them, and he says, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law 
For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Your moral beliefs might be based on the things that God has said, and they might be based on your own opinions. But you've got moral beliefs. Everybody does. And if you sin, like if you sin against those beliefs apart from the law, like you didn't even know what the law was, you're still going to get judged. You don't become... If you have a different standard, it never, ever makes you innocent. That's Paul's point. There's this great book called uh, The Law and Grace by a guy named uh, Dr. Paul Tournier. And in it, he shares, he's a, he's a, a psychologist and a physician and a theologian. So, nice combo. And uh, he talked about one day he had this uh, a client, uh, came in for counsel. And this person was in grief, struggling with shame and guilt. And so he's like, okay, let's talk. And the story is that this lady uh, lived in Italy and she, um, she lived, she survived, she made her living as a prostitute. And so she's coming to the psychiatrist to help her deal with guilt and shame. And the psychiatrist, Paul Tournier, was saying, I thought she would be talking about the sin of sexual immorality. But that wasn't it at all. Because this lady, her problem with shame and guilt was related to the fact that during bad times in the village that she lived in, when the people couldn't afford her services, that she had to depend on her old mama and her old papa. And she was taking from them because she couldn't provide for herself. And she felt so ashamed of herself because she was depending on her old mama and papa. So, Dr. Portone, I mean, you might go on, uh, that's the wrong thing to feel bad about. But to her, it is the thing that crippled her conscience. And what Paul is saying is, everybody's got one. Just the thing that triggers it, it's different. And even though you might sin according to the law of Moses and feel convicted, you are still not escaping if you don't know the law, that law. You still ultimately end up sinning, which is why he goes on, he says, when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day and according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. Now, here is a, a very interesting truth. All people have a minimum standard that defines if they are good or bad. Everybody has one. You go and talk to the average bikey, they've got a moral standard. The moral standard might be, you know, I take care of my own and I... If there's a different motorcycle gang that wants our turf, I fight back because I've got standards. Or I don't steal from my own family. I'll steal from others, but I won't steal from my own family. I'm a good guy. Everybody's got standards. Now, their consciences then monitor it. And here's the thing that Paul, Paul says about every single person in this world, including you, is that all people secretly fall short of it. 
everybody falls short. And that word fall short comes up in the explanation of the book of Romans. So how do you define good? I mean, here's a list of things that I just tried to grab that would be sort of, if you were to ask the average Aussie, Gentile, sinner, if you were to ask them, how do you define good? There's a ton of people that define good as being a, a hard worker. How do you know you're good? Well, I work really hard. I show up every day and do my bit. I, I devote myself to the company, to the business, to doing and delivering good. Everybody loves to do it. God, Aussies, in fact, are very good at doing good work, hard work. If you're a good citizen, well, you know, I obey the law. I don't burn down buildings. I obey to the police. I, whatever it is, I don't graffiti. I'm authentic to myself. I have a way of seeing myself, of thinking of myself, and I'm authentic to that. I, I think this of me, and that's the way I live, and I never let anyone change me. That's how I know that I'm good. I'm, I take care of the environment. This is something that's being educated through all of the, child, the, all of the children in the Australian education system. They are told that a definition of good is you take care of the environment. You don't pollute. You don't too much greenhouse gas emissions, and you take care of the environment, and that's good. You're generous to the poor. You should always help the poor. If you give to the poor, you're doing a good thing. If you're wealthy and successful, this is also a definition of being good because the poor are looked down on as moral failures. And then, of course, you've got to be loyal. So you're loyal to your tribe, to your footy team. I'm loyal to my footy team. Port Adelaide lost sensationally last night, but they're my team, and I'm going down with them. Right? I'm loyal, loyal, loyal. Tolerant. Tolerant means that you can never have or say anything that makes anyone else feel bad. In fact, the only thing that you can be intolerant about is intolerant people. You don't need to tolerate them. <laughs> forgiving. You need to be forgiving. In fact, one of the things that people have a big problem about the, about the gospel of Jesus is that it seems like God is very unforgiving. Because... Why, can't, why did Jesus have to die? Can't God just forgive sins? I forgive people. I forgive my neighbor every day. I forgive my husband. I forgive my wife. I forgive my children. I'm very forgiving. Oh, unaddicted. This is a very big thing that works in people's lives. If you find yourself enslaved or trapped into a lifestyle of, of, of things that you are no longer in the power to choose, you see those things as bad, as a failure. Now, the thing about this is, is not that that list is any different or any better or any worse. It doesn't really matter about the list. The point is that nobody makes the list. If you have to do those things, you are constantly asking yourself, is it enough? And then if it's not enough, or even if it is enough, if you stopped today, would it have been enough? If you've done enough environmentalism so that you can just lay down your tools and you no longer have to clean up the ocean, you're done. How do you know when you're done? How is anyone going to ever show up? And then, of course, there's everybody else with all of their value systems that are complaining and saying that you haven't done enough or you focus too much on that value and not this value and you're not good enough. Look at the Internet. It's full of people hating other people. When Will Smith slapped Chris Rock across the face at the Oscars. It was a competition of values. He was saying, Will Smith was saying, Chris Rock, your values are wrong. I must attack you. And Chris Rock's values didn't match Will Smith's. And Will Smith had an honor value that he had to live up with. And then afterwards, everybody judged him. Because why? Because we all have values. 
You can't escape it. And that's what Paul's point is. Everybody feels this weight. Everybody does. I've told you before stories about me pulling trailers. Let me remind you of how often I forget to properly hitch the trailer to the vehicle that's pulling them. I, I would love to say that I never, ever forget or that I've learned my lesson, but no, history has taught me that I often forget to properly secure the trailer to the back of my vehicle. I was telling you a story not wrong, long, long ago about how once I got a, 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 a trailer load of, of stones to do some yard work and uh, incorrectly hooked the trailer to my car, thought that I was going great until I went over a train track and then the train track exposed the weakness of my ignorance and the trailer flung off and the chains kept it there but I'm now dragging the trailer <laughs> along the back. And you know that moment, I'm a, I'm a guy, right? And a competent guy. That's how I know that I'm good. So I felt like an, a failure in that moment. And Jody's there in the car, which multiplied the feeling of failure. <laughs> and my granddaughter was also in the car, which multiplied the feeling of failure because now she might mention it to her dad, who would then judge me as being incompetent at trailer hooking. <laughs> I was living in shame. And so what did I do? Well, I got out and I'm thinking, how do, you, how do you hook up a fully loaded trailer to a car again? Like you just, how? I'm, I can't lift it. So then a person pulls up. Like I'm going, I decide I'm going to get the jack out of my car. And I'm going to jack this thing up, jack it up, jack it up. Of course, I didn't block the wheel, so I jack, jack, jack. <laughs> so after failing with that a few times, this lovely person pulls up alongside. And you can hear, you know, you can hear... I heard a diesel car. I didn't even look up. I was so angry at myself and in the embarrassment of my shame. They pull up right there. Do you need any help? It's exactly how it sounded. And I'm not judging it all at all. I didn't even look up from my jacking up my car. I said, no thanks, you got it fine here, no problem, move along, move along. I didn't say it just like that, but that's how I felt deep down inside. Because, because I felt ashamed of the fact that I couldn't do something right. Now listen, if people of this world are already ashamed that they can't get something right, how does it help to stand there and talk to them about how the fact that their trailer load has fallen off again and they didn't get it right? You know, you, you moms, you ever get it right? You husbands, you dads, you children. Does anybody ever get it right? Does it help to have somebody do it? The problem was that I'm either going to have to get help to put my trailer back on or I'm going to have to do it myself. And here's the problem. The world thinks that they can hook their trailer up again. It doesn't matter what they're failing in. They think that they can hook it back up themselves if you just try harder, if you just work more, if you just get it right, you'll be able to drive again. The problem is they don't realize that they're the trailer. They don't realize that they're the trailer. Trailers follow things. Whatever direction they're pulled, they follow. And you don't have the power to get yourself back up. And the problem is even if you did, you'd be hooked to the wrong thing. So that's why Jesus said, come to me, all you whose trailers have fallen off and are heavy laden with loads you can't lift. And I'm going to give you rest. I will do this. 
I want you to take my trailer hitch upon you and learn from me. Follow me around for a while because I'm, I'm gentle. I'm not one of those people that drives crazily with trailers and leaves them unhooked. I'm gentle and lowly of heart. And you're going to find, you're going to find something very, very different. You're going to find something that gives you rest for your soul that eventually leaks into the rest of your life. Something that'll change your insides that'll transform your outsides. Because my yoke, my trailer hitch, is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is saying, here's the gospel. The only Jesus can lift the load. And the problem is everybody else in the world thinks that they have to lift it themselves. And the truth is that humanity cannot lift the load. We can't lift our own load. We can't live the right life. Jesus must save you. Jesus must save us. We need him because he is the one who can. So what does it mean to be saved? Well, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First, the Jew, that's the people with the law, and also for the Greek or the Gentiles or the Aussies. His salvation is a power that saves. It changes us. And Paul's like, I'm not feeling ashamed of it. If he was painting with my friend, he would not feel ashamed to explain, I understand, friend, that whatever life you're trying to live, you can't live it on your own. Don't feel it. Don't feel it. I want you to know this. Jesus can change your life. Jesus can do what no one human can do. And so people from every generation have thought that there is something wrong with mankind. We all fall short. We're all not like God. And we also can't change it. And that is the sum of why Jesus had to come and to die on the cross for us so that we could change because we would connect to God because God can. We're falling short all of the time. So what does it mean to be saved? Well, here's, here's it is in four easy points. Are you ready for this? Are you still with me? Live, listening, encouraged, beloved. All right. There is a debt owed from falling short. But Jesus paid it so that you can so that you can be given life. Now, the problem with falling short is it comes with consequences and obligations. That once you are trapped in a sin, you are trapped to a sin. Once you are in failure, you are trapped to failure. And so someone has to come and pay that so that you can be released. So in Romans 3, he says, there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short, there's that word, of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I know that's pretty Christian language there. It comes straight from the Bible. Basically, it means those who are falling short, it's all the same. We all do. There's no difference. So how do we get out of it? Well, somebody has to pay. It says Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, we end up, in sin, whether you know it or not, and that sin brings death. But Jesus comes to pay that debt completely and remove it from the equation and then gives you the gift of life. Isn't that wonderful? Do you think people would like to know that? That somebody has paid for all of that obligation that they have? So, God loves people and he sent Jesus to die on the cross to save us. The most Known verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Here's the thing, Christian, that is very important, that God loves your friend, your neighbor, your cousin, your uncle, your workmate. God loves them so desperately that he sent his only son, his only son, to die for them, to pay the price for them. It's love that motivates God, not condemnation. God is not, didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world and to make them feel worse, but he sent his, his, his son into the world so that they would know that they are loved. And he wants to save us by Jesus dying on the cross. Number three, God wants people to know him as father. In book of Romans, he says in chapter eight, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. You don't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry Abba. And then we sing Abba tunes all the day long. Now it's just, if you're not a Christian, in fact, many people wonder, why does it say Abba? Well, Abba is just the Aramaic word for Papa or Daddy, right? And so it's left in the Aramaic so that everybody gets the Daddy message, right? We have to have a heart change that makes us think that God is our Daddy. Daddy! Daddy! The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And here's the thing that you need to understand. It's by a relationship with God that you are changed. So you think about this. If you work really, really hard to be good, do you ever get the relationship? No, you're just hardworking. And it's great that you're trying to be a good person. But as hard as you work, you'll never get to know him. But God wants something better. He wants you to know him first, even in all your mess. And then it's by knowing him that you will become different. But also, you get to know him. <laughs> you get to actually have a relationship with God. And that is surprisingly the best thing ever. So, number four, we also need to be rescued from powers greater than us. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 and 14 says, We are to be giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light, who has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so what people don't recognize is that there's a spiritual component to the life that we're living. And you may not understand this, but people trapped or in living a life that's distant from God, constantly failing, ashamed, condemned, controlled, that all of those things have spiritual powers and forces that are at work to keep you away from God. But what happens is Jesus has the power to take you out of that power and bring you under his power. Don't you love that? Don't you love the fact that you're no longer subject to the manipulations of the spirits of this world, the values of this world, the controlling things of this world, because Jesus is the Lord of your life and you can finally live in, in peace. You know that, that Psalm, Psalm 23, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He talks about how even when we're led in the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil. And he talks about how the fact that even when we are surrounded by our enemies, God prepares a table for us. And here's the beautiful thing. Even though the world can be going to pot, you live in the bubble of the grace of God, the love of God. 
You stop then worrying about controlling and manipulating powers. You don't worry about politics so much. You don't worry about money so much. You don't worry about people's opinions so much because you're not under their power. You're under Christ. And people need to know that there is a place of sanctuary where we're no longer being manipulated by spiritual powers. I've seen a lot of people. One time, uh, one time this lady came. Somebody, somebody said uh, that she was having a relationship trouble with her husband, uh, marriage thing. Not, not terribly bad, but bad enough that she was felt in crisis. And they said, well, I know this pastor. He'll talk to you. And I said, so I said, yeah, no worries. So this lady and her friend came over to my house. I'm not counseling any ladies on my own, by the way. So, so they're at my house. And she is just convinced that her life is under a curse. How? How does she think she's under a curse? Because so many things consistently go wrong for her. Now, I want you to, I want you to understand this. Most people in this world believe that there are spiritual forces at work that are causing them to have failure. You don't have to convince them of that because you can tell by the fact that they cross their fingers. You do this, you think you're manipulating the luck of the world. But they also do a thousand other things to try to make sure their lives end up good. And so I said to her, we, we talked about things and I brought her the message of the gospel, prayed with her. And then I said, do you mind if I just pray for you? And I said, what well, I'm going to pray for you. So I prayed for her and she's like, oh, that's so great. And I said to her, and I just felt this, the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit said to me, I want you to pray for her in the in tongues, which is a heavenly language given to those who have been baptized in the spirit. I said, I said, I feel like, do you mind if I'm, I'm going to pray in a strange language. I feel God wants me to, you want to understand it. I just want to pray in this language because I think God wants to heal you. And so I prayed for her in tongues and she just melted into the, into the couch, weeping and crying. And she said, I felt like my soul was getting a massage. Because, friends, there are spiritual forces at work in the world. And people are desperate for a loving master who can rule over them in faithfulness. People need to be saved. So, I had lots of other things to say. I'm not going to say them. Wayne Gretzky, you know the guy who said Gretzky shoots, Jesus saves, greatest ice hockey player ever, if you value goodness by ice hockey playing. He said you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. And that's what I want to leave you with today is share your faith because I'll tell you this, people already know that they've fallen short and they already know that they can't lift their load. They just need to hear the story of the one who can't. And if you say to people, you know, do you feel bad about this sin? They already feel bad about something. There's already a place of falling short. And when people say that, I can't be goodness. Why can't I get this right? Why can't I? Why can't I? If you be there with the story of Jesus and say, I know you can't, but Jesus can. Let me tell you why and how. People will love to hear the good news. In fact, when Jesus ministered his life, in, when he was on earth, he didn't walk around with a wagging finger pointing out moral flaws. He kept doing things that nobody could do and people kept asking how. So Jesus can do things in people's lives that they can't do for themselves and they would love to know 